right, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's gr- great to be a part of this church. Welcome to those of you who are over in East Hall, those of you who might be watching online. Welcome. My name's Todd. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet you at some point. I'm one of our pastors here. Uh, listen, if you're a Patriots fan, um, I, I just, I envy you and I want you to lose because it's just not fair. It just isn't fair anymore how much you win, all right? And this is coming from a bitter Browns fan. I totally realize that. So that's my confession this morning. Got it off my chest, and now we can get going. Um, listen, we've been in a, a theme this year that we launched a month ago, and it's called Transformed in 2018. It's our theme all year, and the premise of that theme is that you can change that by the end of this year, you can be different than you are right now because of what Christ has done for you. And that process is called transformation. But transformation doesn't happen on accident. No one stumbles upon it. Uh, Transformation is something that's intentional. And so we're encouraging all of you to take some intentional steps at this church this year so that you can allow God to begin to transform you. Well, today we are starting a brand new series we're calling Transformed 101. It's just 101. Because what we believe, and I think this is going to help us with our steps, what we believe is that uh, transformation takes place when we go back to the basics, when we go back to the fundamentals. And I know in my own life, Whenever, uh, it doesn't matter how many classes I've taken, how many books I've read, the thing that transforms me the most is when God brings me back to the basics, to the fundamentals of what it means to know Jesus. And you guys know the Super Bowl is tonight, and this is the pinnacle of the NFL football dream. It doesn't get any better than making it to the Super Bowl. But at the same time, the team that's going to win tonight is going to do the fundamentals really well. They're going to do the basics really well. I'm talking about running, catching, throwing, blocking, tackling, all of those things these guys were taught at peewee football a long time ago. And it's going to be those same basics that are going to help them to win the Super Bowl tonight. And it's the same with us as believers in Jesus. It doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, the thing that is going to help us be transformed this year are going to be if we know the basics. And so this, we're calling this 101 because the mission statement here at this church is our 101. You, you saw it in the video, but our mission statement is to see people come to know Jesus, to grow in Him, and to serve Him daily. That's 101. And so the, the, the key is if you want to be transformed in 2018, you've got to go back to the basics. If you get the basics, you can and will be transformed this year. So here's what we're going to do. Throughout this year, we're going to do three different series, one on each of our mission statement uh, points. So the, we have know, grow, and serve. So this one's on what it means to know. The next one later on in the year will be grow and then serve even later on in the year. All right, so the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to know Christ and the very first steps that you take when you come to know him. And so the, the three uh, points are believe today is believe, then belong is next week, and then baptism is the, the last week. All right, so first, we're going to talk about believe. That's today. All right, I remember when I was in student ministries 
Uh, we used to take a father-son trip with eighth grade boys when they were going into their ninth grade year. And it was um, just a highlight of most, of most of the people that went summer. And the best part about the trip was on the last day, uh, we would take this five-mile hike. And it ended at this beautiful water hole with this waterfall cascading down. And the guys would swim and it'd be a blast and we'd eat lunch there. And then there was this, this ledge that you could climb up to. It was like this cliff jump. It was like 40 feet in the air, and you could jump off of it into the, the, water, the, the water hole that was down below. And, you know, there's always these guys who were early adapters, and they looked up, and they're like, I'm in. And they went up and just catapulted themselves off and had a blast. But then there were always a few that weren't quite so sure. And what would happen is they'd look up at the jump, and from down below, it didn't look that bad. And they'd be like, yeah, that's, that doesn't look too bad. I can do that. And so they'd climb up to the top of the cliff, and they would step up to the edge of that cliff, and they'd look down and go, oh, wow, that's bad. You know, because it always looks a lot higher from the top. And, but, but you know, they saw their friends going off, and, and they, they, they're like, i got to jump. I'm up here now. And so they get up there, and, and they, they get ready to jump, and they go, wait, 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 hold on a second. And they ask questions, right? It's always questions. Okay, is it, is it deep enough where I'm going to jump? How should I jump? Should I cross my legs? Yes, definitely. You know, all of those things. How, what should I do? And, and then the friends are like, come on, just jump. It'll be great. And they get, he gets back up to the edge of the cliff. And, and by now, the people below, like the dads and the fathers, are chanting the name of this kid, you know, like, jump, jump, jump. And so he goes, all right, one, well, count, to, count to three, count to three. And they go, one, two. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. I need a little more time. I need a little more time. Just let me pray. Let me meditate. I'm not ready yet. And oftentimes, that same person who is so hesitant to jump actually never makes the jump. We eat our lunch, we start hiking back, and they never actually do it. Why don't they jump? They don't jump because the fear of what's going to happen to them when they jump is much greater than the security of remaining on the ledge. And I think that jump, when we place our faith in Jesus, it's just like that jump. In many of us, we, we come into church um, week in and week out, and we hear the good news of Jesus, and we hear the gospel, and, and, and it's like we're being brought to the ledge. We're being brought to the ledge, and we know, we look down into uh, what Christianity looks like, and we see all these people that seem to have joy and purpose and love, and we understand it in our minds, and we come up to the ledge, and there's an opportunity for us to jump, and we just go, wait, 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 I have questions. I'm not, I'm not quite ready yet. I just I, I don't want to do it yet. And the reason that happens is because the fear of what's going to happen to you when you jump is greater than the complacency of staying where you're at and living life the way you're currently living. In order to really believe, it's like a jump. So here are my three questions for you today. First one is, how do you jump? The second is, why won't you jump? And then the third is, what happens when you jump? So how do you jump? Why won't you jump? And what happens when you jump? All right, and whether you've been a believer for centuries or whether, if that's possible, or whether you've been a believer 
for no time at all, or whether you don't even care about this stuff at all, this message, I think, is for you. All right? So those are the three questions. The first question is, how do you jump? How do you jump? It starts with admitting your need. So if we're ever going to make the decision to jump and believe and trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have to admit our own need for it. And sometimes that's a big jump in and of itself, isn't it? Because it does not come naturally to admit that we are flawed, messed up individuals. That doesn't come naturally to any of us. And, it, and that started in the garden. When Adam and Eve first disobeyed God, they did the only thing that God told them not to do, to eat of the, the, knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate of it, and as soon as God came looking for them to call them out in their sin, what did they do? They ran and they hid. And then when God finally found them, he looked at him. He said, what's going on? And Adam said it was Eve's fault. And Eve said it was the serpent's fault. And they placed blame and they ran and they hid. And ever since then, we have been doing the exact same thing. No one wants to admit that they're actually wrong, flawed, deeply uh, hurt, flawed individuals. I see it in my kids. You see it in your kids. In my family uh, at the Ionetta house, we have begun to develop these little value statements that we, that we say to our kids. And one of those value statements is this. Ionetta's admit when we mess up. Ionetta's admit when we mess up. And the reason that's a value statement is because so far we're not very good at it in my house. So there'll be, there'll be times when we, uh, I'm not going to pick on any one of my kids, but where there will be one of our kids that will do something completely wrong, and it's most likely a sin against their brother or sister, maybe something they say or do to them. And we actually see it happen with, their, with our own eyes, because they're not that sneaky yet. And we see it happen, and they look up back at us, and they go, we call them out on it, and they go, I didn't do it. Like, no, we, we, we saw you with our own eyes doing it. And so the next thing they say is, well, I, well yeah, but it was, it was her fault or it was his fault. You know, so the next thing is they blame. And then when they finally realize that there's nowhere left, that they have nowhere to go, they just run and they hide as if they can somehow just hide from the fact that they had just done it. And it's the same thing that every single one of us does. We are very slow to admit that we've got issues, that we are flawed individuals. And you can run and you can hide and you can blame it on someone else, but God cannot change you until you simply surrender. He can't change you until you simply surrender. The Bible says, for all have sinned in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what that means is that if you get to this place where you fully understand that you are in sin, that you are a very flawed human being, then you have to believe something else, that your sin separates you from the God who created you, that you fall short of his glory, that you cannot save yourself. You are stuck in your sin. I remember about six years ago, I was, uh, we were, my family was living with some friends at the time. And our friends lived in this house back in the woods where you actually had to take this long dirt gravel driveway back to their house. One night, uh, I told my friend I would pick him up at the airport really late. 
And so it was like 10, 11 o'clock at night. I had to get into my car. It was a snowy winter night, and I started coming out of the driveway. Remember, it was a long driveway, like a half a mile. And I'm coming out, and you get to this place in the driveway that I knew was there. There was potholes. Where I, so I had to slow down because I didn't want to mess up my car. And I kind of slowed down real slow, and my front wheels came into the potholes. And because it was snowy and icy, they never popped out. The wheels started spinning. It's like, oh, no. I put it in park, get out of my car. I run back up to the house, which at this point is like a quarter mile up the, the road. And I ran back, got a shovel, was digging out, just couldn't dig myself out. Then I, I look back, and I go, wait a second, I've got an idea. Right next to my car, there was enough room for another car to actually get by on the side. And I had my wife's car that I could go get at the house. So I'm like, this is perfect. I am going to be my own hero and save myself right now and get my friend from the airport. So I, I go back, get my, my car, bring it, bring it up to where that, that car is stuck. And this time I'm not going to slow down, right? Because I'm like, this is not going not gonna to get stuck. So... So I kind of rev it and, and just go, I, I find my gap and I go, here we go, shoot the gap. <laughs> and, and, I, and I start going and I start going and I'm going through and then all of a sudden, vroom, what I didn't realize, there was like snow and ice covering what was, what was now I would label as a swamp. Um, and, and I was stuck. Guys, no joke, I had both my cars just like this stuck in the driveway next to each other. It was the most helpless feeling that I've had in a long time. And I remember getting out of my car, standing in the driveway. It was like 11 o'clock at night. My friend needed to be picked up and just going, I give up. I surrender. I got nothing more to offer. And the only thing that I could do is pick up my phone and call the only friend that I thought would be up at the time. And he came, picked me up, and we ended up picking up my friend at the airport even though we were late. But that stuck feeling that I felt that night is the same feeling that we have when we are stuck in our sin. We get to this place where we work hard enough, we try to fix ourselves, we try to make it right, but we just can't. And sometimes we end up making it even worse the more we try to fix it. And just like me that day, we are stuck and powerless to save ourselves unless there is a source outside of ourselves that can save us. And the good news is that there is. So Romans 5, Romans 5, 6 says this, For while we were still weak, at the, at the, the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak, while we were powerless, while we couldn't save ourselves, while we were stuck in our sin, there was a source from outside of us that came in and ended up paying for our sin on the cross. Christ died for the ungodly. And so we have to admit our need first. God cannot change you unless you admit that you definitely need him to change. And then the second thing that we have to do, and the only thing left to do, is take the gift. We have to take the gift because he gives us this, there's a source outside of ourselves where he says, I've paid for your sin, I've rescued you, I've brought you out of your stuckness, and now all you have to do is accept it. And the Bible says, back in Romans 3, verses 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, 
Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, listen, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. God is handing you a gift and it's nothing, it's not because you've been extra special. It's because he has offered it and he's handing you a gift and the only thing left to do is take it. And you're standing over this cliff, over this ledge, and you've been brought to this point and the only thing left to do is take the gift and jump. That's all there is. Admit your need and take the gift. That's how you do it. But the second question is why won't we do it? Why won't you do it? And there are a lot of reasons why people won't do it. I'm going to focus on three this morning. Just going to focus on three. Too much shame, too much judgment, and too much to give up. Too much shame, too much judgment, too much to give up. The first one's too much shame. I think one of the biggest lies that people believe is that somehow uh, they are not ever going to be good enough for God to potentially ever save them or love them. Like they are so unworthy because there's enough sin and enough shame in your life that it's possible to be too far out outside of God's reach. But listen, the Bible says otherwise. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. Do you realize what this means? That Christ died for us knowing that we were in sin, that we had issues, that we had shame, that we had guilt. And it wasn't just like the little sins. It was every sin. He died for everyone who is in sin. He died for you. And that's the good news of the gospel. There's um, another passage, Romans 1.16, that says... For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for those who believe. It doesn't say it's the power of God for those who try really hard first. It doesn't say that it is the power of God for those who clean themselves up first. It doesn't say it's the power of God for those who fit the Christian mold or for those who dress really nice when they come to church. It's the power of God for those who jump who believe, who place their faith in not what they do, but in what Jesus has done for them. So too much shame. And, and I have to tell you this morning, you might be in here and you might say, Todd, you don't understand. The shame I carry is unbearable. I can't do it. If that's you, you are exactly the person that Jesus died for. He can take that shame no matter how horrific it is. Right, so too much shame. The second one is too much judgment, right? There are some uh, that, that have this wrong view of God, that God is only and ever a God of wrath. And, and, and you can't get over it. You look... You, you, the only thing you see when you picture God is like this cosmic scowl of disappointment. And, and if that's you, most likely you grew up with a father or parents or mother who, who you could just never measure up 
to their standard. They were always disappointed in you. They were always given that scowl. And, and if that's you, I'm sorry, but that's not God. There is a, uh, if you've ever been on a plane, right, there is that divider between first class and coach, you know, that, that divider, as if they have to make it any more clear. But then there's also oftentimes a curtain that closes in the aisle between first class and everybody else. And Jerry Seinfeld does this stand-up bit about planes. It's really funny. And one of the things he says is, he says, you know, when the plane's about ready to take off, that flight attendant kind of looks, looks back to all the people in the back of the plane. And right before she closes that curtain, she gives this look like, if only you would have worked a little harder. <laughs> and that shuts the... That shuts the curtain. That's how some of us feel about God. That somehow it's only, God is only loving towards first class people and that you'll never be worthy to be a part of this exclusive club. And you're standing on the cliff today and you look out over the, the world of Christianity and all you see is judgmental people with scowls on their face. And I have to tell you, if that's you, if, if your experience with Christians is that they've only uh, given you judgment and kind of have looked at you like you're not worthy to be a part of their club, then I'm sorry. Christians have issues too. We're a work in progress. We're not there yet. But my challenge to you today is to not judge Christianity just on Christians. Judge Christianity on Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, you will fully understand that God's face towards you is one of love and grace and forgiveness with arms wide open. And here's why. Some of you might be saying, you know, but, but God's a God of wrath. I've read the Old Testament. I, I realize that God's a God of wrath. He is a God of wrath. He's a just God, and he has to be true to that character. But do you know what he did with his wrath? What he did with his wrath is he poured it out on his one and only son. That's why the cross was so horrific. And when Jesus was just about dead, the last, one of the last things he said was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason Jesus said that because it was because for the first time he felt the scowl of God. God turned his back on Jesus and abandoned him. And the only reason he did it was that so you didn't have to be abandoned. That is the good news of the gospel. And so God's face towards you is one of love and grace with arms wide open. And as long as you keep seeing God as this God with a cosmic scowl on his face, you will never make the jump. You'll never jump. But he doesn't have a scowl on his face. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So too much shame, too much judgment. Last one is too much to give up. Too much to give up. You know, that's a big one. Sometimes people are standing out over that ledge and they realize that their life really might have to change if they take this jump. That there might be a lot of things they have to begin to give up and they're just not ready to give up. And I get that. And I'm not going to lie to you. There probably are going to be some things that you have to give up. But Jesus says in, in the Gospels, for what does it profit a man 
to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul. You know what that's saying? What that verse is saying is, yeah, yeah it's, it's risky. It takes faith to jump. It's not going to be easy. And, and, and I understand that. But it's going to cost you way more to stay on the ledge than it's going to cost you to jump. And that's true. What, what are you more afraid of, gaining the world and losing your soul or losing the world and gaining your soul for all of eternity? So that's how you jump, why we often don't jump. And then the last question is, what happens when you jump? What happens when you jump? Well, what happens when you jump is that you jump into the arms of the Father because of the blood of Jesus and you get to be there for all of eternity. It's not one of those conditional things where you get in there and then you got to kind of act a certain way in order for you to continue to be loved by God. That's not the way it works. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one's going to condemn you. And if Christians condemn you, they're still working on it. They shouldn't. Jesus, though, is the only one that matters, and he won't condemn you anymore. And the, that chapter goes on to say, Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And here's the thing, when you make that jump, you are transformed one time for all time. And at the same time, it takes a long time to change. Okay, so when you jump, you get into this big mess of a family that we call the church. You join a whole bunch of people who do not have it all together, who are flawed, who take steps forward sometimes, who take steps back. Sometimes they take huge steps back, but by God's grace, over time, we continue to grow. We're all on this path of transformation together, and you get to join us. And, and I'm telling you what, none of us deserve to be there. And you're going to hear Christians that make it seem like they've gotten to this place where they've graduated from the gospel out of the 101 and now they're in 501 and they kind of now deserve to be here. Like, I, I deserve it. That's wrong. It's wrong. None of us deserve to be here. All of us need to remember, even if we've already jumped, we need to remember what it was like to jump, to take the gift that we didn't deserve. Listen, um, the one thing that is true is that when you jump, Philippians 1.6, Paul says, For I am sure of this, that he that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You have the rest of your life to work on this, to be transformed. So now the question is, I, I've told you how to jump. I've told you why you won't jump. I've also told you what happens when you jump. So now the question is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, won't you jump today? Won't you take the leap? I know it's, it's scary, but it's going to cost you more to stay on the ledge than it's going to cost you to jump. And for some of you today, you may be standing like that kid I introduced in the beginning, and you may even be hearing God calling your name, or over the last several weeks, he's been calling your name. But you say, wait, 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 I've got questions, I'm not ready yet. The life you're living now, is it working well for you? 
And if it's not, then consider taking the jump. Today, as we close, um, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never taken the jump, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. If you're over in East Hall, if you're right here in the sanctuary, if you are watching online, I want to give you a chance right in your seat where you're at to jump. And it's not some deep theological thing you have to say. It's not these magical words. It's simply taking the gift. So all you need to do is bow your head in prayer with me and repeat this prayer to God. God, I am ready. I know I am a flawed human being. And I know that you have given Jesus to me as a gift. I believe today that he's paid for my sins. I am yours. Today, I jump into the arms of the Father. Father, I ask that no matter if someone prayed that prayer or if people in here have been saved for quite a while, that we would be brought back to the awe of what it means to get something that we just don't deserve. Lord, I ask that you would help us on a daily basis to be brought back to 101, to cast our minds to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. And allow that to be the thing that continues to transform us this year and throughout our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.